0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Fieldwork Podcast. And of course, thanks a ton to the Walton Family Foundation for their support this season. I'm Zach Johnson.
1: And I'm Tara Vanerdusen. And today we're going to be chatting with a North Carolina farmer that I had the privilege of meeting at the American Farm Bureau Convention in Atlanta. We actually spoke together on a panel and were featured in the Farm Bureau Ag Sustainability video. And his name is Kamal Bell.
0: Kamal runs a 53-acre farm just northeast of Raleigh, Durham. And unlike Tara and me, He's a first-generation farmer, which, of course, means he's faced some big challenges getting his farm going. Before starting his farm in 2016, Kamal taught agricultural biotechnology to middle school students, which, uh, I don't know, I was never a, a big fan of school, personally. <laughs> I don't know about know, you, Tara.
1: I didn't take ag in school either, so I feel like this might, we might learn a lot today.
0: <laughs> More than likely, yeah, I'm hoping so.
1: Yeah. So, hi, Kamal. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to have you on.
0: Thank you. Thank you all for having me. Thank you all for having me. I, I think it's going to be a great podcast today. Can you give us an outline, Kamal, of, of what your farm is like? And I mean, what does that look like? What are you dealing with there?
2: I, I think I meant to say,
0: oh, I meant to stop
2: earlier. The farm is 12 acres. Well, one day it might be 53. I would <laughs> I would enjoy that. But it, um, it's 12. Farming, I, I think, is just like it's just refreshing like i got up this morning um did 50 million things had to get an order ready and it's just something that it just completely fulfills me so just the the unexpectedness and the like constant transitioning i think i like i think i like that a lot
0: that's definitely one of the things that i like about farming is that you just it's always different right you're not sitting in the same in the same spot every day doing the same thing it's always different it's seasonal and you really get to see you get to see your hard work come to fruition every year yeah
2: yeah it 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 is i think it's i think the most rewarding part of it for me is just like the crop like just getting better at uh and, and putting a system around growing crops i think that's really i think that's something that's is like i'm starting to really attach and associate with that now
1: yeah, one of my favorite things you said in your video from the American Farm Bureau was you listed off all the different like things that farmers do every day, whether it be like a mechanic or an electrician or a plumber or a farmer. Um, and I I think that that really hit home for me as well.
2: Yeah, it, I, I think just having those different roles, uh, like you, you're you're I guess if you don't have a truck, you're not a truck driver. But you're like driving products around. Like you just do so much stuff. And I think farming is. I didn't know it was like that, getting into it. I thought it was like, you get out, you get the food going, and you have a market for it. But I, I don't know of a profession where you have to wear so many hats as a farmer. Like, it's it's almost remarkable. You have to even capture it on social media. Like, nobody else has to really do that in their profession.
0: Well, as we saw when we were setting up for the podcast, I don't have to work too much with audio stuff either. So that's one of the things I'm not good at on my farm. <laughs>
1: You touched on just a second ago. Zach mentioned it. You're a first generation farmer and you're also a black farmer. Obviously there were many unexpected challenges along the way. What brought you to it? What did you find really surprising?
2: Yeah, I, and I think like the even like the label like first generation farmer is so interesting and there's so much um that goes into it. It's like my grandparents and generations before them farmed some through by like the system of America at the time, but then also, after that system ended, they farmed as well, and they were um stripped of their land, and whether it was through like predatory lending practices my great 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 grandfather got his land stolen um during through us just like a story of when the bo weevil hit, he took out a loan, and well, the year before they tried to get him to take a loan, and he didn't do it, so he was in the clear then when the boll weevil hit. He had to take out a loan. He couldn't pay it back, so he took his farm. Now, like when I go to my grandmother's house on my father's side, I see that farm every time I go. So I'm just looking, I just learned about that history this year. So coming back into agriculture, like being reintroduced back to the field, it's like our like our entry point was at a place where farming used to be because of all these different uh, factors. So just being able to like try to catch up has its all different set of challenges that I think um haven't people haven't really discussed like it's really difficult trying to access the land going finding capital for it um getting the market, building the infrastructure, finding the capital to build the infrastructure, then trying to insert myself into a a uh, a space that was used to people like me not being there so it's really really uh challenging just in all those aspects and coming into farmer and then taking on the risks that are already associated with the farming industry. So it's like layers and layers and layers. Uh, this just layers that you just have to, it feels you have to all navigate through to try to like insert yourself in the current agricultural space. Like it's really, it's
0: really, it's really challenging. So if we take a look at that and you talk about the layers and the challenges, that you've had to, had to deal with here and try to work through all the time. How did you start from the beginning? I mean, how do you get into this being a first generation farmer? What was the path for you? So for us, it was me just realizing that I wanted
2: to do something for my community. So when I, um, I actually started a garden at my middle school and this, I saw how the students like just gravitate toward it. So in my mind, I'm like, all right, there needs to be something that can bring in the next generation. Then I was also applying, like as I'm a teacher, I was going through the USDA. So I went to the USDA's Farm Service Agency, which is a whole other story and a whole different experience um, to acquire the farm. I was going to use uh, Carolina Farm Credit, but they wanted you to have 15 percent down of the loan. And I was like, all right, so if I do that, I'm not going to have any operating expenses that year. I'm not going to have any money from operating expenses. So I used the USDA. But the me, me and the agent had an issue. He denied the application, um, even though he told me during the process that this is one of the best applications that have ever come across his desk. And he still denied me anyway. On top of having a degree in animal industry, a bachelor's, a master's in agricultural education, and also running a, a business, like a, a value-added business, all of a sudden chips. So then that got overturned. And that, well, that process took eight months. Then we got the farm in March. So I was just looking at acres and acres of uh, raw land, just trees and shrubs and everything. We finally got that clear. I tried to clear it myself, which was the worst mistake I've ever made. I wasted like $5,000 trying to clear it. Then I had to pay somebody else another $5,000 to try to clear it. And they did a worse job than me. So then we just spent like our first two years really pulling shrubs and pulling, like moving trees to get the land where it was just consistent. And then after that, we started to apply for grants. We started to, uh, I started to redirect a lot of my funding, my money from the teaching. And then we started to build the infrastructure, me and the students. So they
0: are as a part of Sankofa as I am in um, getting the farm started. So was that the original 12 acres that you had to clear once you acquired that? We cleared five.
2: We still have another, another seven that are still wooded that were work, that we're slowly getting into production. So that was just 10,000 from like uh a land clearing uh standpoint for that five just to get that space open. And then even on top of that, we're still like working that area. We're gonna be doing a lot of cover cropping this year. Uh we're gonna also be looking into getting animals in probably next year or the year after. Probably next year, I think things are moving pretty fast. We have bees there. We have seven hot tunnels and then one thirty by seventy two foot tunnel. We're getting a um a climate control unit coming out. So just building that space is uh like we're just now starting to get into our, our growing practices and our system now, like this year, now that we're, we've got a, a good idea of the infrastructure.
1: So I would love to back up just a little bit and find out why you really wanted to get into farming. Like what was it, you know, was it, were you in college when you realized that you wanted to start farming? Or how, tell us a little bit of that story.
2: So growing up, I always, like I always like being outside. I could be outside all day. And I think translated into me playing like outdoor sports. Like I, I love playing football and love running track. Um, but when I got to college, like that stopped because, you know, like the success rate of trying to make it professional sports is very, very low, that stopped. But when I was there, I started to get a lot of experience at North Carolina A&Ts. They had a 500 acre farm there. So I uh, really like turned my switch on to, to going into farming. It's a lot of reading I did on history and looking at how a lot of issues that can help solve, a lot of issues can be traced back to to the land so i wanted to take an agriculturally centered perspective to address issues in our community so the food deserts was one and that's a place where people don't have access to healthy and affordable food and then i started looking at all these other things like all right job opportunities learning skills learning trades the farm is a platform for all of those things so i think the like just me realizing that there are a lot of issues in my community and that affected society and just preparing the students. Like students aren't taught. Like school for for us isn't the same. Like it, that's not what's going on in school now. I feel like school did a pretty good job. Um, like when I was younger, get introducing me to things and getting me opportunities. Like I played the violin. We were in groups like Salamanders in the city, like we go out and find uh salamanders in nature. But now the we have to kind of restructure the model of school. So I I think this like all those things are
0: associated with the farm. So the farm was like that thing that I wanted to to use to address other issues. So I, I'm I'm hoping I'm saying this right, but can you describe to me what is the um, Sankofa? Is that yep. right? You're like one of the first people to get it right on the first try. <laughs> nice. <laughs> At least the first one today, huh? <laughs> yep, yep. So the, the Sankofa Agricultural Academy, tell me about that. So after I went through,
2: what really gave me the spark to start the academy was when I went through the um, USDA, and I was just like, if I got to go through this, I don't want other generations to actually to go through this. So I thought about, they had like a stipulation in their um, the requirements, where they get to have three years, I think, of verifiable agricultural experience. I was like, you know what? I want to work with you so if they have to go through the USDA, that they'll already have their verifiable agricultural experience. So it was my way of wanting to create um, future farmers. If they so, if they chose to uh, go through, um, the same route that I did. So I identified students from the classroom who I was teaching that were really into the farm and I invited them out to, um, to, to participate and help with the farm. I didn't know like at the moment, like how exactly that would look. I just knew that I wanted them out there to get the experience. So through that, the students who have really stuck with the program have become certified beekeepers. Uh, one of the students, is um in high well two are actually in high school now the other two just graduated one's in college the other one's getting ready to go to college and I'm actually getting ready to reach new students back like a new set of students into the program so it really helps them just reimagine their role in society how they fit within it like I want students um, in my community to be as attracted to farming as they are sports and entertainment and the music stuff like music craft like I'm really critical of the music industry but I I like I want them to be as attracted to farming as they are to those things so for me it's just about introducing them to and showing them the possibilities that that agriculture has
1: um I watched a video of you recently in the Atlantic Festival um it was a YouTube video and it was one of your students Cameron Jackson um I loved how he was sharing that he wanted bees and so you were like listen you're going to have if you choose to bring bees onto the farm like if you get stung it is what it is, and I loved how you just you know you could tell his sense of responsibility and pride, and I I just thought that was so interesting. So oh, you've mentioned like that you have bees, um, and these people are certified beekeepers. Do you help them like through that process? Like, what does that look like with your students?
2: At first, it was um, it was like like you said it was Cameron's idea. He went the bees, and I went to bee school because I'm like, all right, well, if they want bees, they like we have to be able to do it. I in a productive way, just like, you just find out about like colony loss. Like you just don't want all your bees dying and swarming off. So I found, a, um, I think I was telling somebody in the community and they were like, well, actually, somebody keeps bees at our location. And we ended up meeting um, a guy named Matthew who was one of my bee mentors and he was able to uh, get me in bee school and then when I was there, I was like, there's no kids here. How do you have to be? And they were like, there's really no age restriction. As long as you can take the test and pass, you can become a certified beekeeper. So I was like, that's great. So then I invited, I talked to them and they gave the student scholarship to next year, the following year, to all go through B school. And they all went and got certified, which is actually interesting now. Um, the student Kamani, who's, he's a freshman in college. His first semester was terrible. It was really rough, but he was able to get a, um, a research position and he'll be working at the university with B's this year. So it's like things are coming full circle, but they did gain that sense of responsibility. But now this year, we are working with um, Bear Crop Science, and one of my bee mentors actually works for them. So we wanted—he taught us the science behind beekeeping. His name is Dick Rogers, and we're actually going to be starting our own in-house beekeeper certification process this year.
1: That's amazing.
2: Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I, I just like the bees. Like, I like, I like, I, I really like the crops now. Like, we're really getting into our growing groove. But like the bees, like that's like, I, I love the bees. Like that's my thing.
0: The bees. So I assume having the bees is beneficial for what you're growing right there on the farm also. Uh, yes, it
2: is. Um, especially with the cover cropping we're going to be doing, the bees are going to, uh, they're going to, they're going to love that. And my four-year-old son, he's, he loves the bees too. Um, he has like, his own Instagram page, Akeem and the Bees. And he literally asked me like, if you're going to bees, I, he got stung a couple of weeks ago. We were feeding some in our backyard and he just ran up, I, I forgot he was there, and he's just like watching everything I do with the bees.
1: With the bees, um, I know this, but I'd love for you to share that your tourism with the bees.
2: So we have a, um, an Airbnb experience on the farm called Bees in the TRAP. And TRAP is an acronym for teaching responsible apiary practices. So people who want to learn how to, uh, or want to just experience going in, what it's like going into a bee colony, They get to come to our farm. I go through a list of all the equipment that they um, need. And then they suit up and I show them how to inspect the beehive. I show them the process that we use to inspect the beehive. And people love it. It's it's turned into definitely a solid revenue stream for the farm. But just seeing people's joy in working with bees and them getting over their fear. We had a a young woman um, just get over her. Well, she's a young girl. She was like seven, I think. She was so terrified of bees and her mother brought her out. And she got over her fear of bees. And I think that was like, that was one of the things I can say was like, I feel like we're doing something really cool with, with, um, with that bees in the trap experience.
0: Hey, so I got a really important question here when it comes to the bees. Very, very important. How often do you get stung when you're working with them? I mean, does this happen? Like you get stung once a day and it doesn't bother you that much? Or is this like once a month? That's a great question. On our Instagram, I have a video. It was probably like three years ago. And
2: you know, if you see people working with bees online, no one ever has a bee suit. And I am convinced, I, like, I'm convinced that people are like showing like the bees. They're, they're cutting the uh, footage. They're like showing them interacting with the bees, but they're cutting out when they're getting stung. So of course, when we start working with bees, we did the same thing and we got tore up. Like I got, I got stung in my lip one time and my whole, the whole left side of my face <laughs> was just like three times the size that it is now. And after that, I was like, I'm never going to go into the bee, uh, going to bees without a suit. And one of the things my uh, mentor at Bear, uh, Mr. Rogers, he stressed to me, he was like, you can get away not wearing protection up front when the bees are unestablished. But once those colonies grow out and you're um, constantly going through the bees, you're going to be doing with tens of thousands of bees and you're going to get stung. So, I always wear a suit. I, I think this year I got stung three times, and that was just like me on the tractor um, doing some field work. And I was in the flight path, the foraging path of the bees coming back in, and they're flying into me. I might get stung in the head or something, but I don't get stung anymore. I, I don't like getting stung. I don't, I don't like getting stung. I learned my lesson. <laughs>
1: Well, what um, back to I guess what the bees make honey, what do you do with the honey? What do you produce out of it?
2: Well, like that's the one thing from us that we can sell directly from the farm. We can ship it. If I put that we have honey, it's gone in like twenty four to forty eight hours. If we can harvest about, like a hundred jars every year, I'll be fine, but like it it's so demanding and Try like imagine a farmer just having to go to the post office on top of everything else you have to do and get shipping labels. It's pretty rough. It's just extracting it, getting into the jar, and shipping it off to whoever. Um, to whoever I think the furthest we
0: go- went this year was New Mexico.
1: Hey, that's where I'm at.
0: <laughs> Man, I love honey, it's one of the most delicious things on the planet.
2: It is. It is. I think I eat honey less now. Anything that we grow, I eat less of It's, it's really weird. I don't know why, but my mind's just wired like that
0: it's it's probably because you'd rather sell it for profit. It's like working on your own house. I'll do something on someone else's house if they're paying me, but I'll never get anything done around my own house.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's what it is. I think every time I eat something, like, I think we could be selling it. So I'm not gonna, I'm not, I don't know, I just, I'm I just weird. Like everybody looks at me like I'm crazy, but I think that's a good comparison.
1: Oh, I feel like I'd be like, I don't want to eat the honey. I remember getting stung last week. <laughs> I, just
2: like, no, <laughs> I think I have gotten honey. I'm like, you know, I did get stung. Like, it's a reminder that the bees, it, like, it's like a combination like the bees eat, I get snug. Like, it's real, it's real. Like, I have a weird relationship with all that stuff. It's weird.
0: We are going to take a quick break right now and we'll be back after just a bit.
1: So what else do you grow on your farm? We've talked a lot about the bees, but what else is there?
2: So right now, we, um, we just partnering with a grocery store. Like, the local food demand it's like skyrocketing, like they're buying everything that we can grow, so we have starboard kale right now, board kale, um dino kale, rainbow chart, um red volley chart it's like a a, a variety that people really it has like a deep red stem. people love it um, lettuce and hackerrod turnips. those are things we're growing right now. I'm in college. all that stuff is just getting so so quickly like I got up this wonderful order. I've never seen – the demand for food has just skyrocketed. And we don't do the farmer's market. So we we work more with, like, grocery stores and distributions who have a, a focus on getting people food who are affected by food deserts. So, like, we – but then we're going to transition into the spring and the summer to the – um we, we do leafy greens all year round, but, like, more to the okra, squash, zucchinis, tomatoes. We're going to do some sugar baby watermelons this year. So we're going to be very diverse in our offering.
0: And this is all on those five acres that you have
2: cleared so far. Uh huh. Like we, we, we're, um, I, I don't like the term market gardening. Like it doesn't sound right because like I'm not in it specifically for profit. I'm in it to feed people. I like small scale better. Like we're, we're just cranking out as much food and we have thousands of plants in the ground right now. We got lucky in our area this year where a lot of people lost food to the frost and, like their tunnel failures. We got lucky. I don't know how, but like we're um, pushing a lot of food right now. This, the, the the seasons is changing. So all those things that were kind of growing slower in the winter are just
0: sprouting up now. So, so how do you make all that work? You know, when you're talking financially, you talked a little bit about going in and, and trying to get the loans to acquire the land and get the operating capital and all that. How do you, how do you make everything work financially? I mean, what, how do you decide what's going to make you money and how do you get by until you actually have a product to sell? That's a
2: very good question. So for us, when I was thinking about that, like my dad actually put out to him, he doesn't have a business background. He actually worked 30 years for the postal service. He, um, I got a shed. It was like 2017. And he was like, how'd you, how'd you get the shed? I was like, I I bought it. How much was it? I financed it. And the terms were were terrible. Like I was just just running in circles. And he mentioned he was like, "You got to figure out a way to bring in more income into the farm." And I was like, "Yeah, like stop spending all of your money." And I'm like, "That's a good point because once I'm out of money, I'm out of money. Like you can't do anything." So I learned how to write grants. We wrote a lot of grants to help us with the inf- building infrastructure. And I'll probably I want to like really walk people through that process. Which I think it would help them a lot in their small farms, is like is grant writing and having a social oriented mission that you always have a part of your farm. Like and that's for us at the food deserts, working with the youth. Um I I don't I don't I'm not like an environmentalist by like title, but like people call me that. Like those things like like working with the bees, like those things are attractive and make people feel like they're a part of what you're doing. And also, people will fund you to keep doing great work like that, so that was the way that we were able to really build the farm up and not have to think about it from a sense of all right, let me get one calipult tunnel, produce as much as I can, and then get another one because like I said this year, like we had a we had a, a winter storm that destroyed people's tunnels. so if I'm banking solely on that system to it, it takes too long to get to where I need to be. To produce more food, and then we do speaking engagements, we have brand partnerships. I guess we, we're influencers. Like I don't see myself as that. Like I literally think of myself as the person that's just trying to get the farm and trying to produce food. So like all these other titles um, come afterward, and I'm still like trying to associate with them. So those things all
0: have worked into our farming model. You've mentioned food deserts a couple of times. Is that something that the Sankofa Academy works on as well? And what what exactly do you do to address those food deserts?
2: It's such a vast issue. Like, it's it's causing me to address even how I perceive them now. Like, before I thought it was getting a farm, producing the food, and getting the food into the community. Then you think about like how that looks. There has to be a distribution set up there that can get the food out. So, when we first got the farm, my approach was working with the students, working with kids who are affected by food deserts. Then it transitioned to us working with distributions who already access that market. And then them having like them being like a food hub, and then them sourcing food from us to get to people, so our uh, distribution we work with now they literally drop off they have a group of volunteers that picks up the food that we drop off from the food hub and they drop off at the doorstep of families who are affected by food deserts. Then we work with another distribution um it's called Fight for Fifteen. They work with like people who are trying to raise the minimum wage and they they get funding to have a food pickup every like once a month where they'll source food from us and then people they'll put them in bags and they'll get them out to people. But like as a farm, we can't do all those different things. Like it would be me literally driving myself literally into the ground. So we partner now to get our food to communities folk, uh, who are affected by food deserts.
1: So, with the academy, um, you talked about how you know you help students get their bee certification. You're starting, you know, the bee teaching, beekeeping, talking about walking through people through loans and grants. Like, what is your vision for the future? Where do you see this going?
2: I think um, that's the first time that question's been posed. I wish people asked that question like that more. For us, it's just adapting to whatever we feel like our community needs. Like, I remember someone asked at the panel. Uh, It was something about farmers and sustainability. And we were all talking about how farmers have to have the luxury or have to have the space to pivot as well. Like we just can't switch on the dime to whatever the new sustainable practice is. So for us, it's to create a model that can adjust to the things that we see need that need to be addressed in our community. So like education was one. So we started the academy. Um, the food desert was one. So we started working with uh, distributions that already could get the food directly to people. We're seeing that agriculture needs to be perceived differently um, by our community. So we we looked at, all right, well, how do people respond to brand partnerships? Like people don't see farmers like us get brand partnerships like that. So it's being able to adjust to, and and being in, in community with our community and what's going on. Like in my free time, I'll go sub in the public school system so I can still see what is going on. Like what are the kids saying? What are where the things the school needs? I'm hoping I can get started working back at the original school I was at and getting their garden started back up. Because after I left, it went to nothing. So I, it's just, I, I just see Sankofa adapting. Maybe it's a 53-acre farm. We have different Sankofa centers around. We have 53 total acres, and they're all placed strategically, and we're working with the community. Because for me, I know some people may hear what I'm saying, like, oh, He only is focusing on like the black community. That's not necessarily the case. It's our focal point, like that's what that's who we target, but we do business with everybody outside of that. It's just that I want us to be able to address issues in our community while still working with everybody from various backgrounds. So it's not just like our community, it's everybody's community because the grocery store we're working with isn't like a black grocery store. So it's just us being able to to um, have something to offer to everybody else. That's all I want us to
0: be able to do. So loaded question here, why do you think it's so important for people to reconnect with the land and with the bees? I think it's important for everybody um,
2: to reconnect with the land. So I think that we have to get back in partnership with each other. And I think the land is the way we do that. I've met so many people. I never thought I would meet this many people from being a farmer. I never thought that. I thought the job was gonna be me coming in, producing the food, and getting out. I didn't know I'd be on podcasts. I didn't know that would be featured on um, streaming services and being ads and I never thought thought about that. But that's all because we connected with the land. I think that once we all start getting connected back to the land, we'll all start to see that we have a whole lot more in common than we do different. I, I really think that we, we we would recognize that. And I think that because of like the climate of America at the time, we're all looking. We're focused on the things that are different instead of focused on the things that we have in common. I think once we connect with the land, that's a conversation that we can have with everybody. I, everybody, I think, knows somebody who, at this point, has a farm or is garden or tried to grow food or grow something at some point, whether it was a house plant or food for your family or you have a farming uh, business. I think that that is something that's like a thread that we all have that we all don't really um, expound upon.
0: Well, when it comes down to it, I mean, that's that's really what we have, right? That everything comes from the earth. So yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. And then everyone's interacted with a bee before. I don't know anybody who's never interacted with a bee <laughs> at
2: some point where they ran from it or they saw a pollinate in a flower or they've seen a bee swarm. Like I didn't know so many people have had like, like somebody was saying, I was walking and I saw the bundle of bees like in a tree. Like people call me now. Like they don't even call the uh, Beekeepers association anymore to come catch bees. They'll just call me. Go to my website, find me, and say, "Hey, can you come get these bees?" Like people interact with bees way more than I thought I ever knew.
1: I'm definitely the one running from them. That's my only interaction.
2: I run. I I run from bees sometimes. I'm not gonna lie. I do.
1: So talking about connecting with the land, you have three kids. We all have kids. I think that, you know, that's obviously a part of farming that everybody talks about is passing things on to the next generation. So what what do you want to, you know, leave to your children? What do you see for them as far as farming goes?
2: I think that for them, I want them to be able to push the idea forward. Like I don't want them, like, I would feel like I failed if in three generations, my great great, great great grandkid is saying, Oh, my granddad used to, my great, great granddad used to have a farm. I want to, um, make sure that doesn't happen. So I want them to be able to always look at the farm as something they can expound upon. My five-year-old, he's going to go into something in agriculture. I think my oldest son will be able to expound upon something. He might come up with like a new, um, a new tractor design, or I think he's in like in that engineering, that engineering, um, I like phase, but my five-year-old is definitely like, I want to take the um, harvested knife, harvest lettuce or kale. Like I want to help harvest. My oldest son looks back at how we can do it quicker and how we can like expand what the farm can do or, um, critique systems. My, my third child, he's due any day now. So I'll, I'll probably know by four or five, like where he, where he is, where he is with the farm. But I want them all to be able to connect back to the farm and know that opportunities can be created off of the farm. It's a a resource. That's all the farm is.
1: Well, congratulations on soon arrival. I think it's real with having multiple kids on the farm. I think it's so cool to see how quickly like you realize their passions and their strengths. Like they just like my oldest is an animal lover. Like she will go out to the dairy with her dad every day. My youngest, that is just not like animals are not her thing. She has other interests, but it's amazing to see how quickly they like gravitate towards one part of the farm or another.
2: Yeah, I, I think the, the funniest thing I've heard my sons do if is if they see like an ant or and they all like everyone's reaction, like you see an ant or something, like if it's like in your house or aspires to kill it. And depending on which one of them it is, they'll remind the other one not to kill it and be a nature hater. That's like their term. Like don't be a nature hater. So I think that they just really like it, it impacts them in ways that We'll see, like, later on. Like, it might help them more with empathy because they get to interact with, like, and they realize how important, like, with bees. Like, you, you learn empathy with bees, I think. Like, you know, any, like, if you're going through a hive accidentally kill one. You know that you, like, took something away from doing a job that contributes to the collective, like, work that they're doing. You feel really bad about it. So, I think, like, it makes me think about, like, ants or a spider or any other animal, like the squirrel, when I'm driving, like if I can stop and not run over it, like I want it to continue to do its job because you realize how big the ecosystem is. So how can people learn more about Sankofa? People can learn more about Sankofa if, uh, I think LinkedIn, well, most people don't have LinkedIn. Instagram tells, like, gives you the most inclusive story uh, or conclusive story of Sankofa, what we do. We actually get a new website. So I think that will help tell the story. But um. People can always welcome to reach out, email me or send me a text message. I mean, um, Instagram DM. I respond pretty quickly, but those are the ways you can learn more about Sankofa. Or if they set up a podcast, they can, they can, they can learn about Sinkofa, Listen to this podcast episode. They can get a pretty good picture of Sankofa.
1: Thank you so much, Kamal. This was um I love talking with you today and thanks for sharing that of where you can find you. And I'll second that I've DM'd Kamal before I met him and he totally answered. So uh definitely shoot him a DM. So
2: somebody else is gonna be listening to this one day that actually did DM me. I didn't answer. <laughs> I get some like some questions sometimes. Just like I'm not answering that. But um I, I try my best on Instagram to 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 be accessible. I always want to be accessible to people. Um, no matter where the I don't know where the farm is gonna go, but I think that um that human interaction is what is what uh what we all need sometime.
1: Okay, so Zach, are you going to go stay at the bee um, Airbnb, or am I? Which one of us is gonna go learn beekeeping?
0: I think we can both go check it out sometime.
1: <laughs> I was really gonna try to give that one to you. You know? Like, oh, I'll take it. Take-
2: <laughs> if y'all are ever in the area, just let me
0: know. Just let me know.
1: Sounds good.
0: I'll be I'll be waiting for you all. Well, thank you, Kamal. This has been awesome. Appreciate it.
1: Well, I really loved uh, hearing Kamal's story. It seems like he's doing so many different things. I don't know how he keeps track of all the different aspects of his farm. Like, there's just so many inputs that he's dealing with.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces there for sure. And you could tell, you know, when he gets talking, he's really passionate about what he's doing. So it's it's always really cool to talk to somebody like that.
1: Yeah, it was amazing to have him on um, as one of our guests.
0: That's going to be it for Fieldwork today. Our show is produced by Todd Melby with lots of great help from Anna Canny.
1: Kristen Schmidt runs our social media. Lauren Humbert is our project coordinator.
0: Thanks again to all the technical directors at American Public Media who help us record and mix the show. Be sure to check us out on social media. We are at Fieldwork Talk on all of the usual channels. And we'd love it if you wrote us a review to help other people find us.
1: And don't forget that we like hearing from you. So give us a call with your comments or questions at 651-228-4810. That's 651-228-4810.
0: Thanks for listening again, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.